handouts or in our Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, we're going to be specifically in Ephesians 2, uh, 11 through 22 tonight. Um, and so we'll begin by, by reading there, and then we'll walk through it together. Um, and this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near." For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and, rem- and members of the household of God, Build, uh, excuse me, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. These are the words of the Lord. Um, Pray with me. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the reality uh, that you uh, remove hostility, you remove uh, division, Lord, through the gospel, through uh, what your son Jesus accomplished on the cross and through his perfect and sinless life, through his substitutionary death and through his ascension to glory and through his reign uh, from heaven until he comes again. Lord God, you are establishing Uh, justice in this world. You are um, at work. You are, uh, as we talked about last week, raising dead sinners to life, Lord, and you are uh, bringing them into your family. And so, Lord, we thank you for this reality. And Father, um, as we study this passage together, um, I just want to echo the same prayer that Allie prayed, Lord, that you would open our hearts. God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear your voice through this passage. And I pray, Lord, that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if 2020 and the last two years have taught us anything, it's that there's a lot of division in our country. Um, it, it seems like uh, if you turn on the news, if you watch the news, which uh, whether or not you should, I don't know. It seems like it's never good. Uh, it's kind of like the mailman. He's always bringing you bad news. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> no offense if you're related to someone who's a mailman. Joel is, my bad. Uh, <clears throat> but if you, if you turn on the news, you see there's a lot of division, right? I mean, if you, look, if you think back over the last two years, people were divided over COVID. Is it dangerous? Is it not dangerous? People were divided over masks. Should you wear a mask? Should you not wear a mask? People were divided over vaccines. Should you get a vaccine? Should you not get a vaccine? If you look at uh, some of, the, uh, some of the, um, the BLM protests, people were divided over racial issues in our country. How do you handle, um, how do you handle that? You know, people were divided over police reform. Um, people were divided over, uh, especially in 2020, at the end of 2020 in November, they were especially divided over who should be in the office of the president, right? Should it be a Democrat? Should it be a Republican, right? And beyond all of those, there is that age-old debate, is a hot dog a sandwich or a taco? There is division even over this. How many of you think it's a, a, a hot uh, How many of you think it's a taco? You're starting something you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I do want to hear your opinions so after that. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll put it in the group chat afterwards. <laughs> All of that to say, man, this is going to be a good group chat. Um, <laughs> Tonight we're going to talk. Yeah. Uh, what'd you learn? We argued over hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> And so the reason that I bring all of this up is because in tonight's passage, Paul is addressing a deep and long-lasting division uh, that had existed from the very beginning of the church, the division between Jew and Gentile. And so Paul now, previously, this last week, um, he has talked about how we are saved by grace through faith. Uh, on, the, on the basis of Christ's work, right? That's what we talked about this last week. And so he says, therefore, remember, right? And so he's, he's drawing our attention back to that previous section of scripture. He's saying, you are saved by grace through faith on the basis of Christ alone, uh, to the glory of God alone. Um, and he is drawing our attention now in this passage and so one of the things that he's, that he's going to address now that he has unpacked uh, the, the beauty of grace is he's now going to begin to apply how grace uh, is going to heal a divide that has existed in the church, right? And so um, that's kind of where we're, where we're going in this, this message. And so the main theme that I want us to take away from this message is to remember that division comes through sin, but unity comes through Jesus Christ. Division will come through sin, but unity will come through Jesus Christ. And so with this idea that, that unity comes through Jesus Christ, we should be asking the question of this passage, what does this passage teach us about how Jesus Christ brings unity in his church? What does this passage teach us about how Jesus Christ brings unity in his church? And as I'm sure you guys have guessed, I have three points. <laughs> the, uh, the first point is this, is that Jesus Christ brings unity in his church through his work, through his work or through the work of Christ. The second thing that we're going to see from this passage is that, is that Christ brings unity through his spirit, 
or through the Spirit of Christ. And the third thing that we're going to see is that Christ brings unity through his word, or if you prefer, the word of Christ. So let's dig into this first one, uh, the idea that Christ brings unity through his work. So in verses 11 and 12 here, um, Paul is drawing, uh, drawing the reader's attention to the Gentiles, right? And he says, he says um, you Gentiles were at, at one time, um, you were uh, separated from Christ, verse 12, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so Paul is describing the situation that the Gentiles found themselves in, namely that they were so far off from God. They, they didn't have the law of God. They didn't have the, the prophets coming to them and, and telling them that God desires that they repent, other than if you guys remember like Nineveh, Right? They had, God sent a prophet to them, but by and large, um, the prophets really didn't go out to the Gentile nations all that much, which actually technically um, was a, a disobedience on the part of the nation of Israel. Because if you look at Isaiah 49, I think it's 49 verse 6. Yeah, 49 verse 6, he says, I will make you, speaking to Israel, he says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And so Paul, in this, these first couple of verses, he's describing the situation that the Gentiles found themselves in. in and what he describes is the fact that they didn't have the amount of, of revelation that Israel had, right? They didn't have uh, a covenant relationship between them and God, right? And so in the next, in the next few verses, and particularly in verse 13, which is another passage that has a beautiful but in it, right? Verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so in this, and then over the next few verses, uh, particularly in 13, 14, and 16, um, we're going to see, you know, verse 13, he says, brought near by the blood of Christ, right? It says in verse uh, 14 that Christ himself, who is our peace, he has broken, uh, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, and it says in verse 15 that he has done this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. And so what we're going to what we're going to think about when we when we use the term the work of Christ is we are thinking uh, not only of his death but we are also thinking of his life. So in his death, what Christ has done to create unity in the church of Jesus Christ in, the first, in that first century where there was a divide between Jew and Gentile, the fact that the Holy Son of God had to come and die and pay the penalty for the sins of Jews and for the sins of Gentiles places them on equal ground as sinners in the hands of an angry God. And that God, his anger needs to be satisfied. And so what this does is it removes uh, the tendency toward pride that the Israelites may have felt, right? Because Paul talks about in Romans 9, he says that um, 
the nation of Israel, they have the promises, they have the covenants, they have the law, they had the prophets, right? They had all of these blessings that God had given to them. But the sad part is, is they didn't actually have God. Some of them did. Some of them, uh, the Lord had so worked in their heart that they truly believed the message of God uh, that was communicated through the, the types and the shadows, through the sacrificial system and the priesthood. Some of them kind of got it. But by and large, most of the Israelites didn't understand God's plan of salvation. And so what Paul is doing here in this passage essentially is saying that everybody has an equal need for grace because everybody is equally a sinner, right? So that's what he's doing as he's describing uh, what Jesus did in uh, offering himself as a sacrifice. And so, but not only does Paul... uh, discuss the death of Christ, that, that element of his work, but he also describes the, the life of Christ and what that accomplished. If you look at um, verse 15, he says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, there's, uh, this is one of, another one of those things where people kind of debate over what it actually means. I'm going to tell you what I think it means, okay? So the law of commandments expressed in ordinances Typically, how theologians have talked about the law of God um, is they would divide it into three categories, okay? They would divide it into civil, ceremonial, and the moral law, okay? The moral law being the Ten Commandments. And so um, with the first coming of Jesus, Jesus does away with – so he does – first, the the civil laws, those were done away with when Israel – um, basically when they broke covenant with God, right? And also, now they are done away with, given the fact that the people of God is no longer, um, is no longer relegated to one specific nation, like the nation of Israel, but rather the people of God, as we see in the book of Revelation, is from every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? And so these laws that were specifically to the nation state of Israel were no longer uh, binding on a global people of God, right? So that, that portion of God's law, while um, I do believe it has enduring implications for us as Christians, it's not binding on us in the exact same way because we are not a nation in covenant with God. Does that make sense so far? Okay, I know I'm throwing a lot of information at, at you. Um, <clears throat> that second category of the ceremonial law, okay? So this is what I, what I think is being referred to by the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So what I think he's talking about here is the sacrificial system, the priesthood, circumcision, and the temple. So all of those things, those distinctly Jewish things, were always intended to point people to Christ, right? They were always intended to point people forward to Christ. The priesthood was meant to point to Jesus, who is the ultimate priest. And when he showed up on the scene... We don't need no more priests, right? Because Jesus is our, is our great high priest who is the permanent high priest, right? Secondly, when Christ showed up on the scene, he is the final and last sacrifice. So we don't need no more sacrifices because Jesus is the final and last sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. 
as a lamb without spot or blemish, as the Apostle Peter says. And the, so priesthood, sacrificial system, and the temple, okay? So the temple was ultimately destroyed in 70 AD, but Jesus, when he came, he actually pronounced a judgment on the temple and said, your house will be left to you desolate, which was very significant because Israel had always thought of the temple as their, as, as their God's house, but God came to Israel. You can read about this in, I think it's Matthew 23, it's either 23 or 24, but God comes to these religious leaders and he says, your house will be left to you desolate. And then Jesus walks out of the temple, right? And the, and the, the, the significance of that is, is this temple, this thing, is not going to be the permanent place where God dwells. Can anybody tell me where God dwells now? Yeah, yeah, in you and in me, right? That's the whole point of that, that latter half of the, the passage here. It says uh, in verse 20, uh, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, right? And so now there is no longer any need for a physical dwelling place because we now have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us, right? And so what Paul is doing is he's removing these, uh, these um, distinctly Jewish elements <clears throat> and he's setting those aside and he's saying that now in Christ, we are one, and these things that were part of that old covenant administration, they're not part of how we're going to do things now. Does that make sense? And what's really interesting, actually, is if you look at verse uh, 4, now think about, I want you guys to picture this, so, or excuse me, verse 14, where it says, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we've been talking about this idea that there was this division between Jew and Gentile. And so what's really interesting is that while the temple was still standing, uh, Paul wrote this while that, that temple was still standing in Jerusalem, and there were actually four different courts that were set up in this, this uh, temple. I believe it was Herod's. Herod is the one who kind of made a bunch of like modifications to it. So this is not the temple that Solomon built, okay? The one that Solomon built only had two courts in it, but the one that Herod built and that was built later on had four courts in it. The first court was the court of the Gentiles, okay? The second court was the court for women. The third court was the court for uh, men who were ceremonially clean. And the, the final court was the court of the priests, okay? Each one had a wall, okay? And particularly on the one between that divided Gentile and Jew, there was actually an inscription on there that was a threat to Gentiles. And it said, if you come beyond this point, it's an immediate death sentence, right? And so there's this, this huge amount of hostility, this big divide. And I think personally, I think this is what Paul has in mind when he says the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. He's essentially saying, yeah, Jesus broke that down. There is no longer anything between Jew and Gentile. You are one in Christ. You are one big happy family, right? That's, that's what Paul is trying to communicate here. And what's interesting is if you think about 
Um, how many of you guys have ever, have you ever have ever gone outside, like on a summer night, and uh, looked up maybe at your porch light, and you've seen all of these different bugs that are all gathered around. They're all trying to melt themselves with this, with this light, right? They want to get at the light. And it's, and it's like this weird congregation of a bunch of different kinds, right? You got gnats, you got moths, you got flies, you got mosquitoes, you got those giant like crane fly things, right? Everybody's gathered around this light, right? In a similar way, what Christ has done because of his work the one who is truly the light of the world, he is drawing all kinds of people around himself. And so the amazing thing is the, in a similar way to uh, all of the insects that are gathered around that light, they're not really focusing so much on their differences, right? They're focusing on this big bright light. They're like, I gotta get to it, right? And in a similar way, we as Christians Focus on the one who is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We got to get to it, right? We got we to gotta, we gotta experience him. We got to uh, go deeper in our relationship with him. And the strange thing, the interesting thing about that is as two people, so check this out. As two people get closer to the same thing, what happens? They become close, right? And so... That is what Paul is describing as what is happening in the church now. He's saying that this, this division is going away because we are all focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ who unites us through his work, okay? So that's the first thing that we see is that Christ brings unity through his work. And so as we're, we're thinking about this um, this reality that Christ brings unity through, through his work. Um, my question for us is, and maybe a way of application, and, and I'll just be, let me put it this way. It is so easy for me. I'm going to tell you guys uh, how much of a sinner I am right now. It is so easy for me to focus on the differences. Like, isn't that just how we are as human beings? It's so easy for us to think about how different we are than other people. Um, <clears throat> I, I'll be even more honest. I get super judgy when I think someone has bad theology. And I'll be like, oh, you really? You believe that? Are you even a Christian? Like, that's, that's the kind of where my, my mind goes, right? And the reality is, is God saves all different kinds of people who disagree with some, with some or maybe all of my theology, right? Uh, there are Arminians who are saved. Don't know how, but God in his grace saves, you know, people who uh, have different theological opinions than mine, right? Because even though they have different opinions, it's the same Christ. It's the same Jesus whom they are trusting in. And so my encouragement for us is to think about do you focus more on the differences between you and the other people in, in, in a, our youth group or uh, you and other Christians? Or do you focus more on what unites us together, namely the risen Lord Jesus? And so we see that Paul directs the, the Ephesians' attention to the work of Christ. But the next thing that he draws their attention to, if you look at verse 18, he draws their attention to the Spirit of Christ or to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18, where he says, For through him we both have access in one spirit 
to the Father. And so it's not just the work of Jesus that unites us together that we focus on, but Paul actually says that, as we just talked about a couple minutes ago, we all have the same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent and he dwells in Joel's heart and he dwells in my heart, right? He dwells within us. Um, I love how Jesus talks about it in John. I think it's John 14, but he talks about how um, the Father and the Son, they will come and they will make their home with you, right? It's this very, just this, this beautiful like picture of a home, of, of you and I being a home for God to dwell in. Um, and so Paul is pointing, uh, the, the Ephesians, he's pointing their attention to the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in every single one of them. And therefore, no one is, is greater or, or lesser, right? Because they all have the same Holy Spirit. Also, as a side note, love the Trinitarian theology here, right? It says that, uh, says through him, that's speaking of Christ, we both have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. That's just a for free thing. This is, uh, if anyone ever asks you where you get the doctrine of the Trinity from, you can see it right here just in one verse. But with that said, as we're thinking about this, this idea of, of no one Christian is greater than another, but we all have the same Holy Spirit, it's not as though one person was more privileged to receive the Holy Spirit and the other one, mm, he needs to get a little more sanctified, then he might get the Holy Spirit, right? That's not how it works. Um, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about growing up, <clears throat> I had, uh, so uh, there's about six years of difference between me and my oldest brother, Okay. So he would play, he played football and basketball. Um, and so after a lot of the games on Friday night, he would have his buddies back over to our house and they'd sit and play uh, Texas Hold'em poker. And they, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, they bought some of those uh, like fake cigars, you know, the ones that you like blow on and it shoots smoke out. But it's not actually like a real cigar. It's like one of the ones from the, uh, from the, uh, like the, you know, costume shop or something like that. Have you guys ever seen those? Like gum. No, it's like a legit, I mean, it looks like a cigar, right? But they put some sort of powder in it, and you go, and then it shoots out a little puff of smoke. Um, I'm surprised you guys haven't seen those. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, so, you know, they'd, they'd be kind of dorky, and they'd have all their sunglasses on, you know, and hopefully Brad doesn't listen to this. But um, uh, And so they'd sit around and play Texas Hold'em poker, you know, and, and I'd get to play with them, right? I'm the, but I'm the little brother, right? And so... But after they got tired of Texas Hold'em poker, they would adjourn to the back room, right, to the family room, and they would begin playing Halo, which is this, like, violent video game where you, you guys, you guys know what it is? Anyway, you shoot each other, and yeah. Anyway, um, so, so I, being six years younger, I didn't get to participate in that privilege, right? And so I kind of felt left left out, right? I kind of felt like, uh, like there was something that my brother got to have that I didn't get to have, right? Which was true. And I share that because that is not the situation that Paul is describing for these Ephesians. He's not saying that some of you get the Holy Spirit and some of you don't. But rather, he's saying that you guys should be unified because we are united around the, the gospel, the work of Christ, and not only that, you have the same Holy Spirit dwelling within you. 
And as we think about this, this reality that the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells within us, I was thinking about the application of that. And, you know, one of the amazing things is that we as Christians, we're never alone. You guys realize that? Like, even in the moments when you feel, like if you are in Christ, even in the moments when you feel like you are absolutely alone, the Holy Spirit is within you, always keeping you connected to God the Father and God the Son. And you are always, 24-7, connected to God. Isn't that something? That's amazing. And so even in those moments when you are at school and you feel like you're the only one that wants to follow Jesus, you're surrounded by pagans, and, uh, <laughs> and you feel like you're the only one that, uh, that wants to follow the Lord, you're not alone. God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And not only that, but that same Holy Spirit, like you guys, you guys go to the same school. You got you get same Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Man, that's, that's awesome. But with that said, that I just wanted us to be thinking about that, that Paul is he's, he's sharing this with these, with these Christians. He's saying, you guys all have the Holy Spirit. God is with you wherever you go. And that fact unites us together because we all share and have a relationship with that same Holy Spirit. And so we are united uh, through the work of Christ, united through the Spirit of Christ, but beyond all that, we are also united through the word of Christ, through the word of Christ. So I'm going to explain, I'm going to do this a little bit backwards, okay? I'm going to explain verses 19 through 22, and then we're going to back up to verse 17, okay? So in 19 through 22, we kind of already touched on it a little bit, but he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, right? Speaking of the Gentiles, they are now part of the the, the household of God, as it says in verse 19, built on the foundation, that, that word's important, foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then he says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so, the, the image that Paul is, is giving to these Christians is he's saying, you guys are the new temple. You guys are the place where God dwells. But it's not a finished temple, right? It is a temple that is under construction and has been, fun fact, under construction for the last 2,000 years. Because for the last 2,000 years, and even prior to the coming of Christ, but for the last 2,000 years, God has been adding brick by brick to this temple because he's been adding souls to the church of Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. This temple has been slowly building for the last 2,000 years into a beautiful structure that God is not ashamed to dwell within because it is his own making. And so that is what is being, uh, being described here. But also notice the, the mention of the word, the word foundation there. And now I bring that up because there are people 
nowadays who call themselves apostles and prophets. They are lying. This passage here says that the apostles and the prophets were part of the foundation of the church, okay? So the foundation happens at the beginning, right? You don't start a building, then lay the foundation in the middle, right? The foundation is the foundation, yes? Okay, I I share that because there are many people whom I know who get deceived by people who call themselves prophets, who call themselves apostles, and they are not prophets and apostles. So that's just kind of a, a little bit of a side note, but it also ties into the fact that the foundation for us, it, it is the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ. And so for us, what we are building on as the church is their doctrine. Everything that the apostles taught, that the prophets taught, and that Jesus has taught, I mean, everything that we have record of, is here in the word of God, okay? Every, everything that God wanted for us to know of the apostles' doctrine, of the prophets, and of Jesus Christ. Everything that God wanted for us to know is here in the word of God. And so what's really cool is as we think about this fact, I've shared a couple times now that Jesus kind of in this just uh, uh, almost like a, um, I don't even know how you would describe it, almost in just like a throwaway phrase, um, or a just a, like a nonchalant. He uses this phrase uh, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? And so his view of Scripture is that Scripture is the very mouth of God. Now, that is important for us to remember as we look at verse 17. And it says, And he, speaking of Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, that's interesting because Jesus didn't minister in Ephesus, right? He did not physically go to the city of Ephesus and preach, right? So what's being talked about there? So uh, what gives us a little bit of a clue is the way that Paul, in his letter to the Romans, when he talks about the gospel being preached, he says, he says this. He says, how shall they believe, speaking of people who uh, don't yet know Christ, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Okay, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? So the implication that Paul is drawing in Romans, and I think what he's saying here in verse 17, is that the voice of Christ is heard when the gospel is faithfully preached. The voice of Christ is heard when any passage of Scripture is faithfully preached. This is why it's so important for us to seek to understand the historical context of books, to understand why um, you know, Paul was writing this letter, why, the, uh, why it was necessary, um, to understand when it was written. It's important to understand all of those things because they help us begin to hear the voice of God clearly in Scripture. 
when we don't have those things, it's almost like your, uh, like your ears are plugged up in a way. And it's like you can kind of hear some, some elements of it. But as you begin to dig deeper into Scripture, as you begin to do the hard work of understanding the message that God has given to us in the book of Ephesians and in, in every other book, the voice of Christ becomes clearer and clearer. Does that make sense to you guys? So what, so what Paul is saying here is that when Paul came and preached to the Ephesians because he was faithful to the word of God and faithful to the gospel, when he uh, accurately proclaimed the gospel, it was as if they heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That puts an, an immense weight on those of us who preach, right? Because it is uh, the goal of preaching for, for, for me and for uh, every preacher who wants to be faithful, for you to hear the voice of God as we carefully try and unpack what God has written to us in this passage. And so my question for us is, as we're thinking about this, that, that we are unified around the word of God, what's really interesting is, have you ever had one of those like wonderful conversations with another Christian who just loves the Bible? Like sometimes Aaron and I will sit in each other's office and an hour will go by and we're sitting there just talking about some theological thing or talking about the Bible, right? There's this unity around the word of God because we share this, this view of scripture that it is the mouth of God, that it, is, that it carries the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, there is a, a unity in when we both view scripture that way, right? And that is how the church of Jesus Christ should view the word of God. The preacher is not infallible, right? But the word of God is infallible and inerrant, and so as we're thinking about that, my question for you guys now is when you open your Bible, do you expect to hear the voice of Christ? Or are you mostly reading it to check off a box? Are you mostly reading your Bible, if at all? Are you mostly reading it because it's something that you're supposed to do? Or are you reading it because you come with an expectancy that when you open it, you will hear the voice of Jesus. I would encourage you, and this is something that I do every single time I open my Bible, I ask God to open my ears and to open my heart so that I will be able to hear clearly his voice through the scriptures. I would also encourage you, this is a side note, this is not in my notes, but something that has been really helpful for me, and I see some of you have journals, good, you should do that. All of you should do that because it is really helpful when you hear something from the Lord to write it down because then you can remember. It's like, oh, wow, God spoke to me on May 1st, you know, right? You have this, this record of the fact that the Lord speaks through his word. And so in closing, what we saw is this, this division that happened between Jew and Gentile was not something that God had ordained. Rather, it was a sinful 
division that had arisen because the nation of Israel had actually turned inward and had begun to uh, revel in their own blessings, had begun to rejoice in their position as the chosen people instead of fulfilling God's call on their life to be a light to the nations. And so the sin of pride created a division. But Jesus Christ came to create unity. And he did this, first of all, through his life, through his work. Then when he rose from, when he, first he died to pay the penalty for all of the sins of all of his people, he rose again to secure justification, a right standing with God for his people. Then he rose again, ascended into glory. He now rules and reigns. And when he ascended, he said that if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. That's why it's better if I go, right? And then he sent the Holy Spirit 50 days after he ascended to heaven, just as he promised. And the Holy Spirit now dwells in all of us as believers, and is yet another bond of unity between us as Christians. But not only that, the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures and has given us yet another bond of unity that we can gather around as the people of God and say we are unified that in, in the, the um, conviction that this is the word of God. And I'll close with this. This morning we sang a hymn um, called The Church's One Foundation. And there's a, a, a line in there that, that I just think is, is just perfect for talking about the fact that Jesus Christ brings unity. And it goes like this. It says, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. Let's pray.